from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. How much do you know about the ag industry in each state? So when you think of Wisconsin, what do you think of? Aside for beer and cheese and people wearing cheese while drinking beer. A star of social media kicks off our tour of the ag states of America. Now you've heard of inflation, but eggflation is also a thing. Prices has just quadrupled. It's just amazing. An update as prices at the grocery store continue to rise and busting up the supply chain crunch with a producer-owned meat processing plant. Never before have we had uh, the entire supply chain at one table, and uh, that's under one roof with sustainable beef. See the big plans for this piece of land in Nebraska right now on AgNet. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The fragile state of the nation's beef processing industry was brought to light at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. From there, a new crop of beef processing plants have emerged. Ag Day's Michelle Rook takes us to North Platte, Nebraska for this exclusive story. Sustainable Beef LLC is a rancher-driven beef processing facility that broke ground on October 4th of last year. Now this isn't the first regional packing plant to be built or proposed in cattle country, but the unique business model may help it to succeed where others have failed. This is ground zero for sustainable beef. A $400 million, 500,000 square foot plant that will have the capacity to process 1,500 cattle per day. Cattle producer and co-founder Trey Wasserberger says the Greenfield startup will fill a niche. Never before have we had uh, the entire supply chain at one table, and uh, that's under one roof with sustainable beef. That supply chain starts with some of the highest quality cattle genetics in the business being delivered to a producer-owned packing plant. The three cattle feeding families, four kind of involved, are going to feed the plant along with about 22 other feedlots and, and that will complete the process going hooked up with a large retailer um, as a partner to take the beef on. That retailer is Walmart which completes the supply chain and adds to the difference in their business model. Having uh, the offtake spoken for and the market already developed is very key in uh, the success of this plant and this design. Walmart is also a minority investor. They liked Sustainable Beef's leadership, their commitment to animal care, and they shared a vision for sustainability. Are we using water control? Are we using nutrient control? What are we doing with our manure management? Uh, are we using cover crops? Uh, all those things, uh, you know, we, we actually we spoon feed most of the, of the corn grazed in Nebraska is, 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 is fed nitrogen throughout the growing cycle. What's really cool is, is our carbon footprint is limited, um, all without 15 miles of each other. These bulls, our feedlot, and our packing plant in the Walmart distribution center are all within 15 miles of each other. So that's why they believe this venture will succeed, even though the plant is starting up during the tightest numbers in the cattle cycle. Our cattle are committed, so we believe our cattle supply is very uh, good and very strong. So we'll have the cattle in the front end of the plants, even though we're in a low cattle cycle, our cattle supply should be very good. We're in every aspect of the industry. Somewhere in the cycle, there will be a, a profit margin. And so hopefully we're just hedging our bet and we can do a little bit of both, but uh, the cattlemen need this. With 400,000 head processed annually, they also believe sustainable beef will avoid being cannibalized by the majors in the packing industry. We believe that uh, there was about a 5 to 6% shortage of, of shackle space in the industry. 
Our plant will be about one and a half percent of the nation's capacity. So we're definitely not taking that whole gap. And Briggs says they'll add some badly needed competition to the packing sector that will help the entire cattle industry. Sustainable beef is expected to be operational in 2024. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ag Day. After a rainy weekend again in the West, could we see quieter conditions this week? Meteorologist Courtney Jorgensen is here with a look. Well, that atmospheric river is beginning to shift further towards the central and the northeastern portions of the country. As it does so, we'll start to see a bit of a break, especially for the West Coast. We could certainly use that. What does that mean in regards to our drought monitor? Well, California is looking pretty decent. In fact, they are out of that extreme and exceptional categories. So that is fantastic news for the western portions of the country. As we head a little bit further towards the central areas, you can see still under extreme to exceptional drought. But overall, we are certainly seeing some improvements as we head through this winter season. Taking a look as far as how much precipitation we're expecting through these uh, first couple of months of the year, Looks like we're overall will actually be below normal for a good chunk of the country, a bit above normal for those folks over in the Great Lakes. And a spectacular sky captured in Kansas, Jeremy Abel snapping this photo. You can see the cows there too, probably a little more focused on grabbing a meal. I'll have more of your forecasts coming up. USDA now says almost 37 million acres of winter wheat has been planted. That was up 11% from the previous year, but a good chunk of that crop is under stress right now due to warmer weather and little snow cover in the southern plains. Now, USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says we went into the winter dormancy period with a very poorly established crop, especially across the central Great Plains. And he says conditions have gotten worse since then. Recent weeks, but for the most part, we have not had any cataclysmic weather events that would compromise the crop there. Now, the latest drought monitor showing portions of the plains are still in extreme drought conditions. Inflation easing again last month. The government now saying it declined to 6.5% growth, representing the sixth straight month with a year-over-year -year slowdown. On a monthly basis, prices actually dipped a tenth of a percent from November to December. That's the first drop since May of 2020. But one item has seen a dramatic increase in prices lately, eggs. Egg prices are up 11% from November and are 60% higher than a year ago. The lingering bird flu outbreak is a big part of the reason. Now, according to USDA, about 60 million birds are gone because of the disease so far. 18 eggs some days when we were usually getting, you know, 15 to 18 dozen this time last year. And when you combine the outbreak with soaring feed, fuel and labor costs, that adds up to U.S. egg prices more than doubling over the past year and also to shortages at some grocery stores. Now, according to the food market data company, Erner Berry, as of Tuesday, the average price for eggs was $4.33 per dozen. Now, this time last year, that price was around $1.33. And experts from research firm IRI say it could take several months for production to return to normal. All right, what would a global recession mean for agricultural markets? We'll discuss that next. And later, his social media videos have gone viral. Well, today, Charlie Behrens takes his Midwest perspective on a tour of the ag states of America, showing how the industry is uniquely different state to state in the country. Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Closing Wheels provide quicker emergence and are more consistent in dry conditions than any other closing wheels. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package.
U.S. and the world moving into recession, and what will that mean for ag markets? Ag Day's Michelle Rook is back to talk with Darren Newsom in this morning's Markets Now. Joining us with this morning's market analysis, Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. And Darren, let's talk about the recession. Uh, certainly a lot of talk about recessionary fears globally in 2023. Do you see that happening and what impact could it have here on the ag markets? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic and one I just wrote about for bar chart, as you mentioned. But, you know, the thing, I, I don't see a recession. And again, as we talked, as we've talked about in the past, I, I just, it doesn't fit the clear definition that economists like to hold out. I mean, okay, you're supposed to see some GDP decreases. We saw that in the first couple quarters of 2022. But after that, we've seen some increases in GDP, U.S. GDP. Uh, employment is supposed to fall. That didn't happen. Investment's supposed to fall. It did, but it looks like it's coming back in 2023. I'm really not Again, I'm not an economist, uh, but I'm also not concerned that much about a recession as we go into as we get deeper into this year. So we need to get the fund community, though, back into the commodity sector here and some confidence. What's it going to take to get them back in there? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing here is Mother Nature. I mean, we've seen a bit of a turnaround in Mother Nature. We've got a possible record wheat crop in Australia. We've got a possible record soybean crop in Brazil. We still have some trouble spots, but it looks like weather may be turning. I've, I've heard talk La Nina may be finally going away after three years. And this is really what's going to change the supply and demand in grains and, and the inflationary talk in, you know, in food and so on. Right. So if we start to increase global production in some of these grains, I don't, I don't really I don't think funds are going to come running back in. They're probably going to go back into stocks, particularly if we start to hear less talk of recession. The folks get a little bit more confident in long term uh, trends for equities. The other R word that you use, not recession, you said Russia is another big key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, Russia is the key in 2023. They've suffered a number of, of battlefield defeats uh, and, you know, geopolitically around the world. It just doesn't look good for Russia at this point. Uh, and, you know, again, when they, when they invaded Ukraine, it, it reshuffled the deck on both uh, energy supply and demand and food supply and demand. It seems like the world's working its way through the energy problems. Maybe we're starting to work our way through the, the food problems as well, given that we're starting to see better production around the world. But you know, the big question is Ukraine, Ukrainian farmers probably got no uh, hard, you know, right. winter wheat acres planted. Uh, so they could have zero crop as we go into 2023. Okay, something to keep our eye on. Thanks so much, Darren Newsom, joining us here on Ag Day More, Ag Day Coming Up. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for only on MachineRepeat.com. Meteorologist Courtney Jorgensen joining us to take a look at our national forecast, starting again with the drought monitor here where we've seen significant week-by-week -week improvement. Absolutely. That atmospheric river, although it has caused significant damage and, in fact, a catastrophic damage in many areas, it's certainly doing some wonderful things for the drought monitor. And you can really see how that exceptional categories, those dark reds, have significantly improved. In fact, as we are looking at the latest, more information will be coming out as we head towards the end of the week. But 
most of the entire state of California, except for very top portions in the northern parts, are seeing significant improvement all out of those red zones. Overall, that drought monitor still a little bit of area, still an extreme drought across the western portion, uh, portions of the country, but central still dealing with exceptional drought in a number of areas. All across the nation, though, we have seen significant improvement as we are working our way through these winter months. As far as how much more precipitation is on the way, let's go ahead and take a look for the week ahead. Still looking at just that northern portions of California, but at least the southern portions are getting a break from it. That's good as that uh, atmospheric river begins to wrap up and move further towards the east. So as we see that begin to move, we are expecting a, some more significant impacts, especially for the eastern half of the country. What does that mean for our root zones? We're quite wet along the western uh, portions of the country, further towards the central, still dealing with those extremely dry root zones out there. Temperatures in that week ahead through this past weekend and on into the week ahead, you can see fairly much above normal on the eastern edge. So that precipitation that will be falling, we'll start to see it as rainfall, then transitioning over to snowfall, as well as the uh, southwestern portions of the country are going to be seeing below normal temperatures. Here's what it looks like as far as what we're watching on those map trends. There's Wednesday moving its way on through you. By fr uh, Friday, we are up into the northeastern portions of the country and mostly looking dry, and certainly it does look nice as far as what we're watching on the western edge of the country. And you can see that how that plays out on the jet stream here. That uh, trough begins to move itself eastward. We start to build up that ridge of energy on the western portions of the country all the way Friday and on into Saturday. Now here's a look at your Ag Day Select Cities. Showers likely for Indiana, Pennsylvania, high of 48 degrees. Hot Springs, South Dakota, chance of snow, high of 41. And as we head into Colfax, Wisconsin, chance of snow. Are you a John Deere completist? Well, then you'll want to see what machinery Pete recently spotted at an auction. Well, folks, I just want to thank you for watching our Machinery Pete TV show all these years. We're in season 10 now. We've had a ton of fun making the show. Uh, I hope you enjoyed a recent episode. We were out in Hamlin, Iowa on December 5th for the farm retirement auction for Dwayne and Pat Sunberg. And I tell you what, what an amazing sale that was. It's the only complete line of John Deere 20 series tractors I've ever seen on an auction. An 8120, 82, 83, 84, 85, 20. Uh, low hour, beautiful condition. Of course, they sold very well. I remember Dwayne's 8220, 2675 hours on it, went for $182,000, $42,000 over the record price. Right next to it was Dwayne's 8320, 2820 hours on it. That came in at $180,000, $21,000 over the record price from 10 years ago. But here's the thing, all these years covering these auction folks, there's always one piece on the sale when you drive away that you're thinking about. And amazingly, on the Sunberg's retirement auction, it wasn't that line of John Deere 20 series. It was Dwayne's planter, this 2021 Kinsey 4705 36-row 20-inch, like new condition, hydraulic downforce. When my auctioneer friend Tom Pauly was starting to sell it, as many great auctioneers do, kind of said, hey folks, give me 300,000. So basically telling us what he thinks, what he's hoping it's worth, what it'll sell for. Well, it sold for $326,000, second highest auction price I've ever seen on a planner. And I tell you, in this market right now, folks, when you can't get a new one, they're all pre-sold, and supply of used is tight on the dealer lots, when the right used planner shows up at auction, it is red hot. All right, thanks, Pete. Well, you know, ag equipment isn't the only unique aspect of agriculture. 
we're off to Wisconsin to start a tour of the ag states of America with social media funny man Charlie Barron's next in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Well, farming isn't identical across every state. In fact, most have at least a few unique aspects that help feed people and livestock around the country. Today, we start a new series called Ag States of America, celebrating those differences with host and social media comedian, Charlie Behrens. He begins in his home state of Wisconsin. All right, so when you think of Wisconsin, what do you think of? Aside for beer and cheese and people wearing cheese while drinking beer. How about cranberries? Now, believe it or not, Wisconsin is the top producer of cranberries in the United States. In fact, the cranberry is native to Wisconsin, and it's the state's leading crop in terms of acreage and value. Now, today, Wisconsin grows more than five and a half million barrels of cranberries each year, which is more than half the entire U.S. cranberry crop. That's a lot of cranberries. Now, cranberries have a ton of health benefits. They're loaded with antioxidants, they support heart health, they prevent UTIs, which may be TMI, but now you know. And of course, what cranberries are probably best known for, they make a great chaser for your vodka. Hey, speaking of vodka, did you know that you can make vodka out of potatoes? And speaking of potatoes, that crop grows on 71,000 acres of Wisconsin land. Now, when most people think of potatoes, they think of Idaho, which is fair. But Wisconsin not only grows potatoes, they're also third in the nation in total potato production. That means Wisconsin has taken home the bronze medal for potato production in the U.S., which isn't bad if you ask me. But let's get back to the other crops Wisconsin's taken home the gold in. Wisconsin is number one in corn silage, snap peas, and ginseng. And if you're not familiar with ginseng, have no fear, Charlie is here. Like cranberries, ginseng is also native to Wisconsin, and it's only found in wooded areas with plenty of shade. Kind of like me during summer. I burn easily. Ginseng also has a lot of medical benefits, including lowering blood sugar, lowering cholesterol, and helping with erectile dysfunction. So as you can see, ginseng is really raising the, uh, the bar. And now for the moment your charcuterie boards have been waiting for. Drum roll, please. Let's talk about cheese. Crowned as America's dairy land, Wisconsin has over 8,000 licensed dairy farms and 1.27 million dairy cows. Together, they produce over 3 billion pounds of cheese each year, or roughly 26% of our nation's total cheese production. And that just skims the surface. Seriously? You know, like that little milk pun for you, skims? What's wrong, no Gouda? Too cheesy? Okay, fine. No, I don't want to milk it, okay? You know, let's just, I cheddar cut it out, you know? I don't want to curd your enthusiasm, so. All right, I'm done. Beyond the dairy cows, Wisconsin is also home to roughly 290,000 head of beef cattle. That way you can have your Culver's Butter Burger and drink your concrete mixer too. Other Wisconsin livestock includes hogs, broiler chickens, and eggs, which translates to brats, wings, and mayo. Some other crops that need their props are oats, carrots, tart cherries, sweet corn for processing, and of course, maple syrup. 
I bet you didn't know that the Wisconsin state tree is the sugar maple. Now, what can I say? Wisconsinites love tapping trees and mostly kegs, but also trees. Oh, and can't forget to mention the 3 million acres of corn and 2 million acres of soybeans grown in Wisconsin each year. Plus hay, lots of hay. And between the carrots and the corn and the hay, I mean, if you think about it, Wisconsin is a very nice place to be a Clydesdale. All right, thanks, Charlie. And you can watch more of these state-by-state -state comparisons with Charlie at pivotbio.com forward slash originals. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, including Griffiths, have a great day.